0: You can't go! All the plants are gonna die. I'm gonna take a
1: bath. Bad dates. I'll alert the media.
0: Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil! Don't touch it. The name's Pliskin. No war! Hang on!
1: Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the '80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly.
2: I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm
1: Richard Wells. And today we'll be discussing Underground Aces, released January 1st, 1981. It was written by Lenore Wright, James Carabatsos, and Andrew Peter Marin. directed by Robert Butler, and released by Filmways Pictures. It was shot mostly in San Francisco, with the exception of the Venice Beach trip to find prostitutes. (laughs) which was shot in venice beach
0: where the prostitutes are that's exactly
1: (laughs) that's basically everything i could find about the production there's really not a lot online
0: which is surprising because this cast has a lot of people in it yeah it does and
1: and early in their careers um the first logo we see is for orion which i think we last saw in front of the awakening on halloween of 1980 it's followed by filmways pictures which was a rebranding from american international last year and it was sort of a lifeboat for producer samuel z Arkov that started strong with the earthling and Dress to kill and then fumbled a bit with without warning and the first deadly sin in our 1981 season filmways still has the burning blowout full moon high roar and four friends so roar. they got their oh my ups my and downs <laughs> yeah i'm kind of excited for any given title there except four friends i don't know a lot about but the rest of them i want to see i would sit down and watch them tonight yeah We get a lot of quick shots of empty streets around the greater Los Angeles area. I thought we were starting in Century City, but Mm -hmm. then we moved downtown. We see the Bonaventure Hotel from the climax of Midnight Madness last year with those giant cylindrical pillars around it. The original theme starts pumping in and cars are suddenly filling the streets. inexplicably the original theme is provided by the commodores and this is back when lionel richie was the lead vocalist of the commodores i don't know how they got roped into this we see a man played by dirk benedict later we'll know him as pete struggling to find a parking spot outside the building and just as he opens his door after parallel parking a truck goes by and tears it off the side of the car the door obviously disappears in a jump cut because they didn't want to destroy a car for this joke There's a bunch of decent-sized names in these opening credits, Melanie Griffith, T.K. Carter, Jerry Orbach, but the most interesting credit is the last one, Frank Gorshin as Fred (laughs) Krueger. The Riddler. The Riddler is playing Freddy Krueger before Freddy Krueger even existed, though somewhere in the film the character is referred to as Harry Krueger, which is either a blatant oversight or I'm just now learning that Harry is a nickname for Fred, which I don't (laughs) think it is. We see lots of people being warned away from full parking lots with signs. A guy is distracted and drives over some severe tire damage spikes. We see a sign outside of a fancy hotel called the Beverly Plaza. Lucy, played by Melanie Griffith, is in the booth collecting keys and returning cars to people. A frustrated customer is looking for his brown corniche. One of the aces, which is what we call these parking lot attendants, Tico, grabs a fellow hotel employee named Juanita on his way to collecting the car. Pete pulls into the parking lot with one gray door to replace the one that got knocked off by a truck, another of the valet drivers, DJ, waves him away from the VIP parking area, but he's not listening. It seems like it's Pete's first day because he doesn't know anybody's names yet. He's supposed to meet with someone named Joe downstairs in the lot, because all the parking is underground, hence the title here. Suddenly, we see an African general, played by Ernie Hudson, and his entourage stepping into the parking lot to collect their car, and Ollie, another of the aces, chases them down to ask the general's story.
0: Say, excuse me, uh, what's your angle, brother?
1: Are you suggesting that we are related? Well, yeah. Instead of any kind of sensible punchline, a bunch of the other valets just applaud this interaction when it's over, like, good one. Yeah. You suggested that you were related. We never see Ernie again. Wasted again. All these tiny cameos in the 80s. Octagon, Jazz Singer, he's barely in them. He's one and done. It's not fair. Ollie and Pete seem to be old friends. Apparently, at a previous job, Pete led unionization efforts and was fired for it. Though I think they also kind of imply that the employees that were unionized were lab animals.
0: Uh, well, and they also will imply later that they either went to high school or college together. Oh, okay.
1: DJ takes a car from two arriving women and Pete gets back in his crappy car and the two of them race downstairs to meet with Joe.
0: To clarify, he is not actually hired yet.
1: Right. He. I guess he's. this is part of his interview process. He has yeah. to meet with Joe to find out if he got the job, but I think they're extremely desperate for people. Ollie races behind them, and a fourth ace, played by Michael Winslow, named Nate, is also tempted into this race. We get lots of fancy driving of fancy cars at unsafe speeds in this underground parking structure. Nate, though, is driving 100 miles per hour via sped-up footage. The racing cars almost hit a pack of roller skaters, inexplicably wandering the parking structure. They latch onto the back of one of the cars and are eventually launched into a lot of furniture that's like set up around a corner. Pete and Nate are head-to-head, barreling through the parking structure toward Joe and another employee rebuilding a car engine downstairs. Joe and his assistant, Zig, hear the cars coming and get out of the way of the vehicle before the racers crash into it. Joe is obviously pissed off that Pete just damaged the car that he was working on when Ollie shows up and says, isn't he a great driver? We better give him a job right away.
2: Great driver. All you know about him is that he hit something just now. He
1: just destroyed two cars. One was his own, but still. Pete gets the job somehow. I guess they're just really desperate.
2: But also, if they're this desperate, why are two of them working on a car in the garage and not Mm -hmm. driving cars?
1: I don't get the whole story. Like, is this a mechanics shop on top of being... I don't know. A parking structure?
0: I thought, so <laughs> this is a bit of a stretch. I thought what was going on was that they got some kind of request to rebuild this car, and they're chopping cars that come into this place for the parts to I fix I mean, it. I think
2: they are. Okay. They are doing, they are stripping cars of parts um, for one reason or another, but.
1: But it seems like a very poorly thought out plan. Mm-hmm. Back upstairs, the angry guy is still waiting on his brown corniche and he's giving a description to hotel security chief Freddy Krueger, as played by Frank Gorshin. The car pulls up just as Krueger starts taking the description down and the hotel manager, Mr. Penlitter, as played by Jerry Orbach, makes a joke about it.
0: Another case solved, Krueger.
1: Krueger tries to throw a cigarette into his own mouth but barely misses (laughs) and shakes his fist when it drops to the ground. Just as the man is about to reach his brown corniche, Tico notices Uncle Fausto, the hotel groundskeeper, I think, and his crappy car, and so Tico pulls away from the customer to go talk to Fausto. When he gets to him, Fausto says that he needs tires, like the car needs new tires, Mm -hmm. and he says, oh yeah, I'll take care of it in a second, and then he loops back around to the customer, which I think was just to get one extra gag in for this guy who's been waiting for his car to be angry. Kruger promises the angry customer as he leaves that the employee will be dealt with, and he points out that Mr. Penlitter keeps track of everything on his tape recorder and won't forget. Don't you worry about it. Mr. Penlitter has it all on tape. And then, because he doesn't care about the way these employees treat his customers, we hear Penlitter say into his tape recorder, Pick up dry cleaning, renew auto insurance. Because he's just terrible at his job. Mm -hmm.
2: What is his job?
1: he's He's the the manager of the hotel manager yeah okay but he doesn't care how angry his customers are and he refuses to punish any of his employees he spends the whole time talking to the tape recorder
2: yeah like he literally does nothing in this entire film yeah
0: yeah, he's like the commandant Lassard of this movie from police academy like he just he he bumbles around he witnesses a lot of things but never takes any real action is that henry yeah
2: okay (laughs) i'm only ever gonna know him as henry
1: or x-ray technician from altered states this guy's a fucking gorilla <laughs> fausto can't start his car and then it rolls in neutral until it collides with another car knocking open the trunk and releasing about 25 bowling balls into the parking lot
2: like what who has 25 loose bowling balls in the back i of probably their did
1: at one point in high school <laughs> i remember my parents being like why the fuck are you driving around with so many bowling balls in the back of your car like i really did <laughs> it, it, it's for the it's
0: for the weight for the ice right you, you know, the roads are icy you want to put more weight in the back of the car yeah the ice it's big in southern california <laughs> in southern california
1: <laughs> most of the balls do their damage on the ground floor smashing ankles colliding with a woman who's pushing a man in a wheelchair causing yeah. her to crash him into another car and then a pair of nuns with bird cages stuffed full of doves both fall to the ground and release their birds prematurely i assume unless this was <laughs> their plan all along <laughs> Maybe uh, they just died. But one bowling ball, were. yeah. That, <laughs> that one of one each each of them let loose one spirit bird. Uh <laughs> but one of these bowling balls makes it down the stairwell. Ziggy and Joe are arguing while working on the car because Ziggy found someone willing to buy it for fourteen hundred dollars, but Joe is insisting they can get seven thousand if they fix it up. Downstairs, Krueger is lecturing all the aces for their history of hijinks. Throughout the lecture, Michael Winslow is, you guessed it, making sound effects with his mouth. <laughs> he doesn't say a single word in this movie. Yeah, he's completely mute. Unless, like, yeehaw counts. I think he says yeah. yeehaw once. But everything else is sound effects. Somehow, Kruger can't tell where these sounds are coming from. What the hell is that? The hotel was built on a
2: swamp, Kruger.
1: The last bowling ball has finally come to rest at the bottom of a stairwell, and then a fly lands on it giving it almost all the momentum it needs to start rolling out into the parking structure. We we never see the fly. Right. We only hear it. We only hear
0: it. And we clearly see the string that (laughs) is pulling the bowling (laughs) ball.
1: Kruger tells the drivers how happy he would be to see them all fired before their next payday, which doesn't make a lot of sense because they need valet drivers. Desperately, apparently. He tries to light a match in a cool way that accidentally lights the whole matchbook on fire and burns his hand. To escape embarrassment, he hops in his golf cart and looks behind him before driving forward and crashing into a bunch of stuff, barely missing the aces. I will never not laugh <laughs> at someone looking behind them and then driving forward. It's just I was going to say that. Trigger.
2: I was going to say that. That is the one thing that I know will always make you laugh.
1: Yeah. The bowling ball rolls into an area where Joe and Ziggy have been rebuilding that car. The ball kicks off a Rube Goldberg machine that eventually dumps a bunch of blue paint over a fan that's oscillating back and forth, blasting the paint at the side of the car.
2: I do like this sequence. I think it, the Rube Goldberg parts of it were were pretty
1: yeah. great. It reminded and- me of like old school Sesame Street. <laughs> but it also drops an engine on the hood and it breaks the caps off of a few gas tanks in the trunk, which then fill the car with gas that eventually oh, ignites yeah. and blows out all the windows just mm-hmm. as Joe and Ziggy are coming around the corner to see the car joe goes to check on it and ziggy stands annoyed that they didn't already sell it the fly that set the bowling ball in motion begins buzzing around ziggy who punches it
2: <laughs> no not open hand slap but he just closed fist punches the fly again we don't see the fly but right. he punches the air and the, the buzzing stops
1: <laughs> joe sneaks into his office to make out with his girlfriend lucy from upstairs he tunes the radio to le Mans. that's not uh, breathing exercises. That's uh, race car uh, broadcast. And Lucy starts asking if they're going to spend their whole lives working at this dump. And they break up when it turns out that that was Joe's plan, <laughs> to work here forever. <laughs> and uh, she wants to go places. Some guy in a fucking beef eater costume for some reason yeah. is dishing out financial advice to a pair of hotel guests. Like no. he's
0: No, he the, the, these ladies are prostitutes.
1: But he's... He's literally telling them to get their money out of the stock market and put it into IRAs. I, I,
0: I believe he is their pimp. What? And, and and he runs this side business at the hotel that he works at. I was
2: going to say, he, he definitely works at the hotel. Yeah, he works at
0: the I hotel. I didn't realize
1: that he was a pimp and that these were...
2: Oh, this makes more sense. Later when... Okay, so when the guy is missing, the guy that's missing later when when the dude needs a prostitute later mm-hmm. is this guy. Yeah. Oh, okay.
1: Okay. That makes some sense. A little bit, I guess. But, I mean, yeah, you want to max out your tax-advantaged accounts before you put anything in the market. But why is he talking to them about this? I mean, that's true. It's just, true. like, an employee system that he's, like... Do, are they getting full benefits as prostitutes with him? Mm-hmm. Apparently.
2: I'm just saying they could have a Roth IRA without being employees there.
1: <laughs> that's true. They're, they're actually freelance contractors, so... <laughs> Ollie gets a page downstairs to bring up the red Trans Am, but Winslow is still working on it, so he gets dragged away when Ollie pulls the car out. Pete notices this is happening and gives chase in a pickup. A beautiful tall blonde woman steps out of her car at the valet stand, and the guys start talking about rumors of a butt tattoo. Ollie pulls up, still dragging Nate, the Winslow character, and when he stops, Nate slides under the car, under the blonde's dress, and then back down into the parking structure again pete flips a yui to follow nate as he bounces through a section of ventilation shaft which is a fun cartoony moment (laughs) um also he's doing nothing to attempt to stop right he's like like, relaxed he's got his hands under his head he seems
2: fine with this even though he's barreling down the street on you know this open bed of a cart thing Mm -hmm. that he's on but i don't get the other dude's plan with like chasing him with a car like mm-hmm. what is your what are you you're, a you're behind him and b what are you gonna do if you catch up
0: well, yeah and, but everyone else is on board
1: because everyone else
0: jumps into this
1: truck to help him
2: but what's the plan i don't understand what they plan
1: to I do think, i think that at best they're going to get to him quickly after he after crashes. he dies yeah <laughs> after he's dead they will get to pronounce him dead that's what they're all racing for but he careens off of a couple columns in the parking structure Until he sails through this huge plate glass window into a side office where he lands on a table and they all rush in to find him there. They're worried that he's hurt until he sits up like a robot. And Nate confirms with sound effects that he saw the tattoo, even though we didn't from his (laughs) POV. I checked. I backed it up. I checked a couple times.
2: (laughs) They weren't expecting people to have freeze frames when this
1: movie came out. Enhance.
0: see it see what her ass
1: (laughs) (laughs) they all start arguing about what true love is and settle on nose numbness as a clear sign of love another convertible arrives and annie and her friend madeline get out tico is instantly in love with madeline and tells her about his tingly nose madeline is here for her friend annie's wedding but annie is getting cold feet madeline is kind of in a hurry to check in but tico asks if he can see her again unfortunately this is pre-snapchat so there isn't a convenient way to exchange information yet and she insists that they will certainly see each other again at some point
2: snapchat yeah do you exchange information with people on snapchat
1: i don't but one does
2: <laughs> does they
1: <laughs> doth thou <laughs> this is why you're not on snapchat <laughs> still speaking old english We flash forward 75 years to a retirement home on the moon. No, just kidding. They meet later this day.
2: Do they know each other before this moment when
0: they're in the...
1: No. No. This is them meeting. This is love at first sight. Okay. As will
0: strike the sheik as well. Yes. There's a sheik.
1: There's a sheik. (laughs) Of course there is. It's a 1980s comedy. There's got to be a sheik. In the hotel lobby, a sheik and his entourage are approaching check-in, and the sheik is similarly captivated, except that he has fallen for the bride and not the bridesmaid. She notices him too, and it seems the feeling is mutual. As Annie reaches up to touch her tingly nose,
0: and Tico also witnesses this. Yes,
1: he sees all this go down, and immediately approaches the Sheik to try and forge an alliance.
0: I, now, when this happened in the movie, I was like, <laughs> I was like, I really what I what I really want now at this point in the movie is the Sheik to totally be like, yeah, Tico, we need to go after these ladies together, and like, he does. I was like, oh my god, that's exactly that's what, what I wanted to happen. Yeah. Because I have to, I I'm fully guilty that I love the chic plot of this movie. Yeah, the, I wish, and the popper nonsense. I, I wish that this had been the entire movie, and all this other most of the random movie. stuff is happening is not happening. Now look, if we want to get to these girls. We have to act as a team. We have business to conduct. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Getting down to business. Now these two aren't ordinary girls. This could
1: be the real thing, Your Highness. For some reason, Pete is wandering around them, blurting out comments as though he has any idea what's going on.
0: And that's what I love too. He, he just keeps He's like, just like giving. Yep, some- sounds
1: like love to me. What? <laughs> you don't even know what we were talking about. You didn't even see the girls. The sheik thinks that this mission is impossible, but Tico insists that nothing is impossible in America. Just as a busload of VFWs is emptying into the hotel, and they all break into applause. Lucy pages the mechanics about a guest looking for a car. The car is in pieces all over the shop, but Joe bets Pete a week's pay that they can get the car back together and hand it off in 10 minutes. In a fast-forward montage, they spot-weld, rewire, and completely reassemble the entire car. This footage, played at normal speed, would have been about 18 minutes long. That's so Outside- impressive. Yeah. Outside the valet stand, Ziggy notices a couple FBI men arrive and talk to Mr. Penlitter, and then he races downstairs. So he doesn't know
0: yet that they're FBI, but he is acting weird, and I wasn't sure what he saw, but I guess it was just the car. Yeah,
1: he just noticed pieces that they need on the car, Mm -hmm. but he's close enough to have heard, and they introduced themselves to Mr. Penlitter as representatives of the FBI. So I thought it was like they had some illegal operation going on and he was running downstairs to tell joe so they could cover up
2: that's what i thought it was when i saw this scene and it wasn't until later that i realized that he didn't know that they were fbi
1: which i feel like you could have easily just not had them introduce themselves that way until later right when dj parks the car ziggy steals it and then strips it for parts ollie leads pete to a room that the aces share like a hidden room that they share at the hotel and they find lucy curling her hair into this silly Shirley Temple puffball that she will wear for the entire rest of the film. Uh, She tells them that she broke it off with Joe, and Pete immediately asks her out.
2: I don't believe you're hitting on me.
1: Well, nothing violent, just dinner.
2: Have an army physical tonight? (laughs) Sure. Really?
1: It looks like she's trying to travel the world the Private Benjamin way. She tells him that if he can wait a week, that she'll take him up on that dinner offer.
2: Not if he can wait a week. If he can make it as an underground ace for a week. Because that'll prove your worth. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Also, he's not getting paid for a week, so dinner's going to be real cheap. Yeah.
1: After she leaves, he touches his nose to check it for numbness. The next day, he asks her how the physical went, and she says that the sergeant made a pass at her. Ollie tells her that she should have expected that, but she elaborates that the sergeant was a whack, which, as we've explained before, Mm -hmm. stood for Women's Army Corps, which was disbanded in 78. (laughs) So either this movie sat on a shelf for a minute or nobody cared. Judging from the rest of the film, I'm leaning toward the (laughs) latter. Juanita asks Tico if he has any lonely cars for them to have sex in, and he blows her off. Pete grabs Tico's nose to confirm that he is in love with someone, and apparently not Juanita. Later, the aces are sitting in a hot tub together when the sheik comes to join them. They talk him into teaming up to win the hearts of the fair ladies. So, of course, the first step is for the sheik, who Annie has already shown interest in, to shave his facial hair and shed his disgusting wealth to pose as one of these poor, creepy ace characters. That's right.
2: Why? I don't get it. <laughs> I don't understand the plan here.
1: There's there's nothing about him being a sheik that was off-putting to her.
2: I don't think... And I don't think that's it. And here, here was my best guess after watching the rest of the film, is he had to not be the sheik because the sheik had things to do right Mm -hmm. and so he had to go and be free from that and so that's why he had to disguise himself as somebody else right
1: i think that is the implication that he's just literally too busy as the sheik to even consider pursuing these girls
2: but the ridiculous thing is to think that anybody else could take his place
0: right luckily no everyone is forbidden from looking at the sheik who's in the
1: sheik's employ (laughs) yeah They give him the name tag of a former employee. Bernie. He got axed. You
0: mean beheaded? I don't know. Canned. Packaged. Fired. Burned. 86? Will you guys knock it off?
1: I actually could have taken a few more rounds of this joke, (laughs) (laughs) but it's fun like this. It works. Uh, For some reason, in addition to posing as the parking lot attendant, one of the attendants will have to pose as the Sheik to do his business. Is this guy really working so non-stop as the Sheik that he can't stay in character to woo the bride with the advantage of being a billionaire oil tycoon also?
2: Yeah, I feel like that, that there is some appeal there, but maybe he also didn't want that to cloud her judgment. Oh.
1: Mm. For some reason, of everyone available, Ollie is enlisted to play the Sheik, despite being black and looking nothing like the Sheik the sheik assures them that his entourage won't notice because they aren't allowed to look at his face but they must also not be allowed to observe his skin color or listen to the words he speaks to confirm they are in a comprehensible language <laughs> so far we have seen the sheik's assistant faud mm-hmm. avoids looking at his face but we end up dropping this whole bit later in the film so it's totally unnecessary yeah.
0: well and yeah because I, I do like the line too that that Ollie says later, don't worry about Food, he's cool. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, okay.
1: Yeah, that's great. Then why did we bother dressing you up? Ollie's a natural actor. Left college to become a star. Speaks three languages, right?
0: That's true. Ghetto English, restaurant French, and car wash Spanish.
1: I like that joke. But it's also, doesn't matter, because you're here to conduct business in English because you speak English, and so did the the guy that you're posing as. right tico tries to give the sheik pointers and the sheik says that his parents met when his father rode a horse into his mother's house and stole her away their families fought and a few people died in the battle they notice annie trying on her wedding dress at a bridal shop in the hotel like open to the lobby
2: i would assume that it's like a tailor
1: yeah but it doesn't have walls or anything so like if her groom was in the lobby he would have seen her from check-in which, you're not supposed to see the person. Like, they should they, they should have a changing room at least. Where, But she's literally trying on the dress out in the open to the lobby. Tico and the Sheik approach the two girls. And Tico takes Madeline out on a tour of the hotel. And leaves the Sheik to fend for himself with Annie. Pete starts hitting on Lucy again. Now she's trying to get a job as a stewardess. And we get a quick moment with Ollie in a business meeting. Speaking in a mix of snorts and what sounds like German to me. Oh.
0: What's he doing? What's he
1: doing? At two people who don't understand a word of his gibberish. The sheik speaks English and this guy speaks English and the people that he's dealing with speak yeah, but then, English.
2: But then he might actually have to do real business here. And the goal would probably be to avoid that right now because he's not Then the why sheik. not just
1: cancel all the meetings if the if the the goal is to not do business with anyone?
2: Wow, because he can't be found out. I don't know.
1: Because it's funny. Why did the sheik get a bunch of pointers about how to meet women, but never once tells Ollie anything about the business meetings that he's supposed to go to? And well, his
0: and and it turns out that him pretending to be angry and storming out that the the sheik was going to be scammed by these guys anyway.
1: Yeah, Ollie's gibberish devolves into a yodeling prayer and even though he doesn't understand a word of it, faud urges the American businessman to pray with Ollie. Outside, a crockpot salesman approaches Lucy, looking for someone named Murphy, who I guess is the beef eater. Pete asks if he can help, and the man says he needs a prostitute because he has to have sex before he can sell crockpots. <laughs> <laughs> like you do. <laughs> I am barely paraphrasing. <laughs> Kruger shows up and without grasping the full conversation, demands Pete get the man whatever he needs. Ollie demands a ride and they head out looking for a prostitute together. Pete asks if it's okay to talk with Faoud in the back seat, and Ollie says, Faoud is cool. So there's no reason to be dressed as a sheik here in the car. Yeah. Like, like, basically yeah. just put that makeup on before meetings. That's yeah, it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Faoud is apparently now in on the joke.
1: They drive out to Venice Beach, where they find two girls who insist that they only work in tandem. I can't imagine they get a lot of business that way.
0: Yeah. Unless it's a two-for-one.
1: Yeah. But it's clearly not. Then, they find a pimp with a trailer full of women, and the women are named Tweezer, Inger, and Big Sydney. <laughs> but when they see Ollie dressed as a chic, they refuse service and start complaining to Ollie about gas prices. Gas is so expensive now that they had to move into this trailer together. I had to sell my a Cadillac. Had to sell it. You realize what it's like for a man in my line of business to make a living out of this? I'm hurting, baby. I'm hurting. I can't move my girls. So my girls are hurting. When my girls are hurting, America's
0: hurting. I, I, I like Ollie's reaction to all this. Like, dude, I'm not even really... No, I work at the Beverly Hills.
1: <laughs> like, he's, like, trying to, like, like level with this guy. The pimp and his girls start chanting, no gas, no ass, until the guys leave. What? No gas, no ass. No gas, no ass.
2: No gas, no So
1: ass. apparently they just no. give up on finding a girl for this customer. Yep. And we never come back to this thread. That's the end of yeah. that story point. Back at the hotel, Lucy tries to talk to another hotel employee, Mitzi, about having sex with Kruger so that he'll give everyone a break, but she doesn't seem interested, until Kruger shows up and uh, he invites Mitzi to a spot check of room 128, which Lucy knows is the room that all the aces are sharing as a secret and, room.
0: And and why, And why? like when they look it up, it says, oh, it doesn't show anyone staying in that room. It's like, why wouldn't you always have somebody staying in that yeah. room if you're using that room?
1: But Lucy tells Pete that they have to empty the room fast, so all of the hotel employees are crowding the room trying to get all their stuff out. When Lucy pushes into the bathroom, she finds Ziggy taking a bath with all the disassembled parts of a car engine, Mm -hmm. and there's, like, greasy handprints on the wall like he was having sex with this (laughs) car. We get a montage of them cleaning up the place while Sid Haig pulls a 13th warrior in the middle of the room. By the time they leave, he has taught himself to ask are we changing rooms before he gets dragged out of the room by the sheik or sheik ollie not the real sheik sheik ollie yes it is he
2: (laughs) (laughs) just don't look at his face
1: (laughs) after they leave tico and madeline approach the room expecting to find it available and when tico carries her over the threshold they find mitzi and kruger about to screw in the room and mitzi starts screaming Kruger starts chasing Tico through the whole hotel like he wasn't just caught doing something that he presumably shouldn't have been doing in the room. Mm -hmm. Kruger is wearing only his hat and trench coat, which is only buttoned like (laughs) up to his belly, basically. So he's just shirtless in a trench coat running around. And Tico and Madeline throw Uncle Fausto out of his truck to steal it and escape Kruger. But when Kruger comes out, he's reminded that he isn't wearing any pants and he retreats into the hotel. Tico tries to steal Fausto's truck anyway but as soon as he gets it started it backfires and all of the tires pop at the same time. Earlier Fausto was asking for new tires and Tico said he would deal with it and now he's paying the price for that because he didn't take care of it. Just then the groom arrives and Madeline is panicking. The groom hands his keys to the sheik posing as Bernie the valet and asks him to send a dozen roses to his fiancee Ann Wenders. The sheik completely totals the groom's car on his way to the bottom of the parking structure where he crashes it through a wall into what looks like a living space with like lamps and couches and stuff there's even a guy sitting in a chair yeah
0: i think it's joe's office and they never they never discuss the body of somebody who is yeah like they someone was sleeping on the couch or laying down and you see the legs fly up in the air
1: yeah we don't even get like a reaction shot of the person like what the fuck was that the whole thing is played like an accident rather than revenge for this other guy finding Anne first.
0: Do you think I did well for my first time? You mean you've never driven before? I've always had a chauffeur. And see, I thought the joke of that like you said, like that was going to be like that face was going to say uh so you've never driven before it's, it's like, like no. why
1: why didn't you tell me you've never driven before? And it's like, like no. oh no I'm a I'm a very you know, good driver. Yeah. <laughs> I have lots of awards for my driving. The Sheik delivers flowers to Anne's room, and at the same time, he invites her to a party called Blitz Night, celebrating one of the aces eloping tomorrow. I'm not sure why Anne would have any idea who the aces are, and who is eloping? DJ and his girlfriend? I mean, we've barely mentioned that girl. Yeah. And we haven't even seen her since like the first time she showed up, and she's not at Blitz Night. Nope. So it's not celebrating her and DJ at all. It's just an excuse for a competition. Anne turns down the offer, because it's the night before her wedding and she would be disappointing people by accepting this invitation somehow. In her room with Madeline, Annie compares this marriage to a business merger, claiming that her parents basically arranged it, a complaint we last heard in 1980's fooling Around. Minutes later, Tico and the Sheik are back knocking at the door again, and when they open it, Tico tries to hypnotize the girls into having fun with them. After humoring them for a moment, Madeline grabs the necklace or whatever Tico is dangling to hypnotize them.
0: You are under my spell. You cannot resist the weaving serpent's eye. The heavy lid of slumber slow... What are you maniacs doing?
1: Ladies, we are here to escort you to Blitznight. Madeline tries to talk Anne into it, but she shuts everything down. The guys walk back into the hall and come back with a rolling laundry cart to, quote-unquote, fake kidnap the girls.
2: I don't understand why any of this is necessary. I don't
1: either. I guess the implication is that it's okay as long as they're pretending it's against their will. right?
2: Oh, I thought it was, like, at best I thought it was they were trying to just hide from anybody seeing them leaving?
1: No, I, I think it was literally just, like, they wanted to give her plausible deniability that she could say, I didn't want to go. They took me out of yeah. this laundry cart. And so they're screaming in this laundry cart the whole way down I want to be able to
2: accuse you of a felony. <laughs> exactly. Why
1: would you go along with that? But they put them in the cart and they roll them the whole way down to the bottom of the parking structure. The sheik helps Anne out of the cart and he asks if she loves him. Amazingly, she says yes, even though she doesn't recognize him as the sheik, but rather just a guy who watched her try on a dress once and then delivered flowers to her room. They kiss and a pair of aces roll the laundry cart out of the shot. Tico and Madeline jump into a restaurant-style seating booth and they just start making out out of sight from everyone. DJ and Nate start doing Howard Cosell-style sports commentary over all the activity. Joe and Pete are about to kick off the final round of some tournament that's happening in this structure. Joe is the odds-on favorite, three to one. Mitzi hears this commotion from upstairs and comes down the stairwell to see what's going on.
0: Well, yeah, and I thought Mitzi was on their side
1: no she's kruger's girlfriend sort of or I guess, just now.
0: the love interest of kruger at least
1: yeah. but uh it turns out it's not a race they're literally playing rocket league they have to use their cars to hit a giant soccer ball into the opponent's goal but i don't think we ever even see what the goal is we no. just see cars hitting the ball the sheik arrives ollie in disguise and annie asks the real sheik why he would bother to come to this when he can have anything he wants not anything before either car scores, Joe crashes into Pete's car, earning Pete a point and sending the contest into a fake commercial break, where DJ and Nate improvise a commercial for Bro Brew. Mitzi reports Blitz Night to Kruger, hoping to get everybody fired. Pete and Joe get in a second accident, but I can't tell who caused the second one, and suddenly, Faoud goes completely insane and stabs the ball to death with a scimitar. Yep. <laughs> Kruger shows up and claims to have caught everybody breaking the rules. He accuses them of damaging private property, but Pete points out that they used their own cars for this contest. Kruger tries to toss a cigarette into his lips, but he accidentally throws it down his throat this time. (laughs) He has to choke it up into his hand. The Sheik approaches Kruger to take the blame for all of this and is promptly fired before he explains that he doesn't actually even work here, that he is the Sheik in disguise. The Sheik offers to bribe them, not to fire anybody, and Kruger accepts. So really, everybody wins, because yeah. Kruger and his girlfriend get a bunch of money and nobody gets fired. Anne has to be upset about something, so she's mad that he told a meaningless lie that actually made him look less interesting as a prospective mate. She accuses him of treating her like a prize in a game and walks away. Tico and Madeline finally surface from their lovemaking to see that everything went to shit.
0: Hey, hop who won?
1: Nobody. The next morning, Lucy is for some reason mad at Pete. I guess because he knew about the prince and the popper scheme and he let Anne believe the lie. But I the gu- lie I was guess. that he wasn't rich. Well, or-
2: it it's, it's all the whole thing is so frustrating to me because like he's acting like he couldn't have her if he were the sheik but that had nothing to do with that plot line right he wasn't the sheik because he had other shit to take care of as the sheik and he had to like pretend like he was you know free from all his cares and whatnot
1: like he could just as easily have been the sheik the whole time and just paid ollie to look like a second sheik to do the business meetings
2: right like he could have been himself the whole time so there was no reason he had to be in disguise
0: this movie should never have left the hotel yeah i think i think going outside for all these other random scenes was was one of the mistakes of this movie
1: and it doesn't pay off either because the whole prostitute hunt never like there's no there's no resolution to that right pete and tico find the chic outside and tell him that they've devised another plan to win Ann back
0: sometimes the old ways are the best ways
1: back at the valet stand lucy gives zig the keys to the fbi agent's car and is asked to bring it up but Zig is panicking because he, for some reason, took the car completely apart. Apparently, this is something that they sometimes do to random cars, and it has never backfired until today yeah. when it turns out to be an FBI agent's car. Zig runs to Joe for help, and he has an idea. Tico and Nate steal flowers and champagne from Anne's wedding reception to bring to DJ and Lena's reception. Lucy hands Joe some champagne at the reception and tells him he's a great guy. I'm not the guy for you.
2: it's a real sneaky way to get back in him.
1: upstairs kruger kicks in the door to 123 not 128 but 123 which is not the room that they were all living out of right i don't know how he even decided on this room to kick into and he thinks he's going to catch aces breaking rules but instead he finds the fully rebuilt fbi agent's car in the hotel room do you guys recall the last time we saw a car parked in a hotel room
2: uh, Herbie goes
0: bananas. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: where they all died from exhaust. <laughs> yep. Anne cries as she walks down the aisle at her wedding, and her father is also crying. Kruger bursts in to tell Penlitter about the car in the room upstairs. One of the aces yanks a fire alarm to interrupt the wedding, and the sprinklers drive everybody into a panic. Ollie grabs Anne and carries her away from her own wedding. All the wedding guests are still screaming and running, even outside the hotel for some reason. A waiter carries a flaming dessert and the beef eater takes it away claiming fire is dangerous like this is the first flaming dessert anyone has ever been served at this hotel
0: you know i thought you were richard Pryor.
1: as he pulls the plate away he inadvertently lights a woman's church hat on fire and he shouts at her while she slaps him away instead of just taking the hat off of her head to save her from fire faud goes crazy again and slices the fire hose of approaching firemen which i'm pretty sure is a felony As a result, the firefighters can't put out the hat fire, but some of the aces use a regular hose to put it out. The groom carries the wedding cake out of the hotel, and then he falls and face plants into it. Just as the sheik finally arrives to collect Anne, Anne tosses the bouquet, and Lucy catches it. But the sheik is on horseback. Yeah. So he's he's doing what his father did to find his wife. Lucy thanks Pete for fixing his screw-up, and Pete announces that he's going back to school on the East Coast and that she should come with him to do some traveling. But I don't think she meant she just wanted to move to the other side of the country and stay home all day while you're at school. (laughs) Pete tosses the keys to the bridal suite to DJ as a wedding gift, and DJ removes his bride's garter here outside the hotel to toss to the rest of the aces. Just as he lets go, Madeline steps on Tico's foot, and he jumps in the air to scream and catches the garter in his mouth by accident. The whole time, Mr. Penlitter has been reciting every infraction he witnesses into a tape recorder.
0: Massive desertion by garage employees,
1: possible arson charges, reckless endangerment, filing a false alarm, and incitement to riot. And at the end of the list, he blames Kruger. And all the blame rests squarely on the shoulders of the head of security. Though he changes his name from Fred, which we saw in the opening and closing credits, to harry krueger and then krueger starts crying on the floor we watch pete and lucy driving up pch and then the sheik and Anne are riding a horse alongside them on the beach we get all the major casts faces in this weird iris optical over the ocean so that it almost looks like an in memoriam segment yeah <laughs> like everybody's dead and that's the end of our film our director here was robert butler we had him last year directing the very similar night of the juggler what What? after this no
2: that's offensive don't say that
1: (laughs) after this he dipped into tv for a bit directing episodes of hill street blues and remington steel but we'll see his work next for up the creek in 1984 he also directed six episodes of the 66 batman series explaining gorshin's appearance here writer lenore wright only other credit is something called grave secrets in 1989 Writer James Karabatsos has mostly war movies, Heroes, Heartbreak Ridge, Hamburger Hill. War movies that begin with H. Yeah. Andrew Peter Mann, the third writer. uh, Only other feature credit was a 1980 title called Hog Wild that we somehow failed to cover. But if enough people care about it, I'm sure we'll get to that one. He also wrote the TV movie Bad Ronald, which is that famous Kid Lives in the Walls movie that was directed by Buzz Kulik, who did The Hunter for us last year and he'll be doing uh, Pursuit of D.B. Cooper this year. Music was from Pete Rugolo. Uh, he'll be back to do music for Choo Choo and the Philly Flash later this year. Cinematographer Thomas Del Ruth. he was the DP on Motel Hell last year. Uh, he later DP'd Running Man, Look Who's Talking, before transitioning largely into television. He lensed the bulk of The West Wing, more than half of the episodes, and followed Aaron Sorkin <laughs> to the short-lived Studio 60 as well. Bulk of the series. Bulk of the series, man. Editor Argyle Nelson Jr., the same editor from director Robert Butler's *Night of the Juggler* last year. Dirk Benedict played Pete Huffman, Face, Face. <laughs> He's best known for his previous role as Starbuck on *Battlestar Galactica*, or his following role as Face Man, Face, on *A-Team*. The uh, role that was taken over by Bradley Cooper in the feature film version. Apparently, he shows up for a cameo in the the movie *A-Team*. He does. We'll see him again later this year in a couple months for a movie called Ruckus. Uh, T.K. Carter was DJ. We just had him as the chauffeur in Seems Like Old Times last year. He was also one of the doo-woppers in Hollywood Nights. And Jesse always points to Punky Brewster. He's <laughs> <His> Mike. <laughs> He's also Knoll's in The Thing and a car wash employee in Corvette Summer, a movie that I hold very near and dear. Robert Hedges played Tico. This is fresh off his best known role as Juan Epstein on Welcome Back, Cotter. Rick Podell played Joe. He was Milo in Hero at Large last year. I think that was Ann Archer's previous boyfriend. Mm. Um, Michael Winslow played Nate. Obviously, best known for his police academy character Larvell Jones, who provides impressive sound effects produced entirely with his mouth. He does a bit of this in all of his feature film appearances, including Spaceballs. And last year we saw it in Cheech and Chong's next movie. Uh, this was his second film after that. So he, those were we've covered his first two films. Cario Salem played the Chic. He was Jean in Killing Zoe. He actually has a few screenwriting credits, including The Score.
0: Yeah. I was surprised when I saw that. I was yeah. like, oh, I, I I, like that movie, okay.
1: And he also wrote Chasing Mavericks, which we've mentioned once on the podcast before because I had written a script at the time called The Ride with Curtis Hansen in talks to direct, but he left our script to direct Salem's script. So good for you, guy.
2: <laughs> I was doing a little bit of Googling so I could be offended at the nationality of the guy they pl- picked to play the Sheik, but I could not figure it out because he's got an unusual name and when you look up his heritage it says american yeah and i'm just like i don't know
1: that's what it should say on everyone's it
2: should but like
1: even if they're not american everyone should be american the
2: the thing that bothered me i think the most was his accent in this movie because he sounds like he has an english accent yeah
1: well that's a that's a thing though yeah Uh, a, a lot of the, the, the thing is that the, the rich people in the middle east get sent to england yeah
0: they get sent abroad <laughs>
1: even the uh the kid in up the academy
0: well i, I was gonna say um the turk in baron munchausen oh uh, yeah when he's performing his opera i was like oh you won't, won't want to miss this one it reminds me of my school days in england
1: <laughs> the torturer's apprentice yeah here's the overture Ralph Seymour played Zig, he was Lenny in Rain Man, he was Creasy in Fletch, and he's Francis's accomplice in Pee-wee's Big Adventure.
0: Yeah, a guy who calls him Buck's Tun.
1: <laughs> yeah. We'll see him later this season for our reviews of Backroads and Just Before Dawn. Randy Brooks played Ollie. He had long runs on The Young and the Restless and The West Wing. He also shows up as Holdaway in Reservoir Dogs. Joshua Daniel played Wally not sure who wally is
0: yeah w- wally
1: um is that the guy who mixed all the drinks for the reception yeah he's he, like, he just took all the leftover drinks and put them together yeah he has a couple of lines uh he's just around he's mostly just talking over ziggy's shoulder
2: there were too many aces in this movie yep. that that di- and most of them didn't play any significant role yeah. um at all
1: wally and ziggy could have been the same guy yeah but uh joshua daniel played mothball in animal house he was the questioner in where the buffalo roam which i think is the scene where he's taking questions from the college students mm. um he also shows up in wacko zapped and trading places but nothing after 1983 so i hope you're okay joshua daniel sid haig played faud he's captain spaulding in a couple rob zombie movies we had him in loose shoes last year and he'll come back for choo-choo and the philly flash and galaxy of terror this year He played a couple of bad guys on the original MacGyver, but he mostly appeared in a lot of schlock horror after the Spalding character Mm -hmm. because that kind of resurrected his career. Jerry Orbach played Herbert Penlittle. He's best known as either Detective Lenny Briscoe on Law & Order or as Lumiere in Disney's Beauty and the Beast. Uh, He'll show up later this season as Gus Levy, Detective Gus Levy in Prince of the City. Melanie Griffith played Lucy, She's the daughter of birds actress Tippi Hedren. She appears later this year with her mother, playing her mother, in Roar. Uh, she is best known for her appearances in Working Girl and Body Double. And her daughter, with Don Johnson, has appeared in the Fifty Shades trilogy. She also, in the past, has been married to actors Stephen Bauer, who plays Manny and Scarface, and Antonio Banderas. For some reason, the clip of her that will always play in my head is when she accompanied her daughter Dakota to the 2015 Oscars and made it very clear that she doesn't care for her daughter's work and won't bother to see the Fifty Shades <laughs> movies. It's really obnoxious.
2: And uh, Yeah, there's the, there are those scenes, but she's also just a really good Well, she's a really good actress. I don't need to see that yeah. to know how good she is. You know? All right, you
1: don't have to see it. It's possible that this Oscars clip will be replaced in my brain later this year when we watch Roar, which features footage of a lion attacking her to the point that she required facial reconstructive surgery. The lion attack and a terrible car accident are both to blame for a three-year gap in her filmography as well. Audrey Landers played Annie Wenders, probably best known for her appearances as Roxy and Carla Yeats in MacGyver episode Two Times Trouble, Mm -hmm. where she played the psychotic survivor of a pair of twins who were separated by a tragic mountain climbing accident man and macgyver also had a tragic mountain climbing accident yeah lots of that going around she's also somewhat known for playing afton cooper on dallas a role which she reprised for the series reboot in 2013 mimi maynard played madeline she's liz lemish in private benjamin last year She looks incredibly familiar to me, but I must be confusing her with someone else because her biggest credits moving forward are casting department credits on films like Highlander 2, The Quickening, and Kindergarten Cop. Frank Gorshin was Fred Krueger, the Riddler, opposite Adam West's Batman. He also voiced Hugo Strange for the 2005 Batman series, uh, the the other animated one, not Batman the Animated Series, but The Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he also shows up in 1981's Goliath Awaits TV movie about a titanicish shipwreck discovered decades later with somehow hundreds of survivors. The last thing I remember seeing him in was that CSI episode that Tarantino directed.
0: I I liked him like his random appearance in Terry Gilliam's 12 Monkeys where he, I still haven't seen that movie. Oh yet. yeah, he he's the the head of this psychiatric institute or like like mental hospital. Yeah. And and he has this weird thing where he clicks his tongue like against his lower lip. You ever seen people when they do that? that yeah. <coughs> yeah. Like, oh, like, don't yeah. do that again. Yeah, sorry. That was the sorry. last time. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do it. Um, but like, it was like, what a weird character trait. Um,
1: but I was like, yeah, that's the Riddler. Well, no, I'm not going to watch that movie. <laughs> William Mims played the brown corniche owner. Uh, he was Jensen in Ballad of Cable Hug, which we covered for Patreon last year. Selma Archard played sales lady. I think that's the woman at the bridal store. Uh, We had her last year as Mrs. Williams in Can't Stop the Music, and her husband is Army Archard, who we saw playing himself in Happy Hooker Goes Hollywood last year. We mentioned previously that she is the woman dressed as Santa in the office Christmas party from Frank Cross's Past in (laughs) Scrooge. Not the woman who's handing out pictures of her butt, but the woman who's standing on a desk drinking.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I know the exact person you're talking about yes. because i just i just watched that movie i watched it every year <laughs> and i was like god who's that woman who's just dancing up on that desk drinking yep,
1: that was selma archard <laughs> kathleen bracken played lily she was mona in man with bogart's face last year who's Twi- lily one of the two prostitutes oh. of the beef eater uh the other prostitute was twink kaplan Marsha. um she was michelle pfeiffer's best friend in falling in love again she's also rona and look who's talking and look who's talking too. And she's Miss Geist in Clueless. Oh, yeah. She's a total babe. And she was also on the Clueless TV show reprising the role. Bob Drew played Murphy, the beef eater. He's the massage parlor owner in Cheech and Chong's next movie. And the reverend in Fade to Black who talks to Eric Binford about his aunt's burial. Mm-hmm. Ernie Hudson was the African general. I already mentioned all of his roles. He's great. Um, and he's also obviously Winston Zeddemore in Ghostbusters. He's in Congo. He's in The Crow. Nikki Cat played Sun. Who, where was the Son? in I this? I did not see any Sun. I, I, I don't know who the Son is. He would have been 10 in this movie. I don't remember any children. Yeah. It must uh, have been at the wedding.
0: I, I i guess you know the, but the only other thing i know nikki cat from is secondhand lions that's the only thing i can name off my
1: off the top of my head i always go to sin city or actually a tv show role that he did for a show called boston public okay did you ever watch that show
0: uh i i remember it. it had five ish finkel on yeah it. and jerry ryan
1: yeah and it was it was a decent show but he played a, a really cool character named harry senate on that show um but this was Nikki Katz's first role. He's also Matt McLean in the Herbie TV show that we mentioned um, that immediately followed this film coming out. He's in Gremlins. He's in The Burbs. He's in Dazed and Confused as Clint. He's Spike in Batman and Robin. And he's in both halves of the Planet Terror Death Proof Grindhouse feature. Um, but yeah, like I said, I always think of Boston Public um, or Sin City where he gets the arrow through his head. Hey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, good stuff yeah those are all the credits i had for this one
2: there was a lot of credits
1: um there's a lot of people in this movie i think it could have focused a little better
2: so it felt like somebody saw caddyshack and said i want to make this movie again but what can I do that's not caddies but kind of like caddies? And they're like, oh, I know. They can be valets at a fancy hotel instead of caddies yeah. at a golf course. And I
1: think that was enough to trick Orion into distributing yeah. the film. Well, for sure. Because like, they, pr- they did Caddyshack Shack. It's,
2: it's a generally sound concept if you, if you would have just told me, okay, I'm going to recreate a Caddyshack-like movie. But as you pointed out when we were watching it, they forgot to put comedians in it yeah mm. <laughs> so like it's just not super funny it's just a lot of um, i mean the, i think the, the
1: aces are all pretty charismatic though like but, but obviously it, dj and ollie and but it's Pete. antics
2: it's
0: not jokes mm-hmm. and also yes.
1: all the characters are interchangeable all of the aces could have done any given thing
0: well and, and we start off with with face and i'm like okay so this is our main character because he's a guy who who needs a job and that's where you, you start you, you know like dc cab starts with adam baldwin he needs a job and he's well, coming it's to this the same place as
1: caddyshack though because you have danny coming in and he needs he needs money for school yeah
0: yeah so it's like and that's the person we're going to follow it's like oh no he's really not even the focus of this movie right. it's, it's it's tico and the chic and it should have been tico and the chic from the
1: start yeah
2: i would have liked them to have called it tico and the chic because that's a better name yeah. than underground aces what if they
1: called it chicco <laughs> and the teak <laughs>
0: just <laughs> <Sheeks. laughs> wood uh, I, I also think as I said earlier they should have never left the hotel and, and I think that the fake chic plan would work as a joke if it's like um, in 9 to 5 where you're always just missing like they they would they would have Ollie disguised as the chic but you never saw him because you'd always see him walking away and Frank Gorshin would always be trying to go oh chic chic and like it, just to make it seem like the chic is still at the hotel yeah Yeah. so to give the real, the real chic Time as a disguise, as the driver, to do his thing. Yeah, because because again, it makes no sense for him to do these business things if he doesn't know what he's doing. But if the manager of the hotel uh, wants to talk to him for some reason, or like Home Alone Two, where they're always trying to get to the whoever's in this room, but they can't get to them. Right. That that's how I think it should have been
1: handled. <laughs> if he could have also just been another guest at the hotel, why did he have to take on the role of? one of the aces so he would have an excuse to talk to her i guess
2: uh yeah i guess Um, why he was hanging out with tico all the time mm -hmm.
1: because it seems like you wouldn't want to volunteer for a full-time job just so that occasionally you could notice a person
2: (laughs) hey ladies like employed men
1: (laughs) but this kind of don't they don't they also like uh independently wealthy men who just go to hotels on their own with their own cash yeah (laughs) yeah yes they do (laughs)
0: Yeah, I, I think it could have also have worked that way, like where Tico is coaching the sh- the rich chic on how to woo an American woman. Yeah, um, I th- I, th- I think there was a lot of opportunity to have fun with that story, and it was my favorite part of the movie was cuz i like the, the scene in the hot tub where where tico's like this is too hot. Uh, I don't know. I, I like the lot like of passing
1: little, out when they're trying to drag him out of the pool. Yeah,
0: and and i liked face as this character who just keeps wandering by and blurting out random statements. Yeah. I, the, all these parts made me smile and i wish that there was more of it B- between like a 10 minute sequence of Michael Winslow being dragged around by a cars um this blitz night plot
1: I'm surprised Dirk Benedict's not in more movies. Honestly, yeah. like I guess if you get locked into a really good TV show, you stick it out. But um, I don't know. I thought he was very charismatic in this. Yeah. Like he could have done a movie between seasons of the A Team, and there wasn't a lot on his IMDb page after this, other than the A Team. But yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, Chico and the Teak would have been <laughs> <laughs> would have been a fun uh, a fun film, and we didn't need this whole the bowling ball bit yeah. or the FBI agent's oh, car. No. Like, how is that even a fix, Joe? How does that solve our problem? Right. You're going to go down to the FBI guy and say, hey, we parked your car in a hotel room. Oh, okay. I'm going to sue the hotel and you're both going to get fired today.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There was just a bunch of stuff that wasn't necessary. And and the moments – and I agree with you. There were moments that, that I thought were amusing mm-hmm. um, and made me smile. Um, but it just – It didn't have a super strong through line. It didn't have super strong jokes. So it just kind of sat there.
1: Yeah. What if instead of focusing the whole thing on Tico and the Sheik, what if it was the movie was called Nate Can't Talk Mm -hmm. and it was just Michael Winslow making sounds for the entire movie? No. I I could go for that. (laughs) He's just rolling around crashing into stuff anyway what do you think jess thumbs up thumbs down
2: i give it a thumbs down there was just not enough for me in this movie
1: yeah it's a thumbs down
0: it's a, it's a down but oddly enough <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're never gonna
1: believe this turn of events this is our number one movie of the year yeah
0: yep. I, I think we all can agree that this yeah. is a far more watchable movie than either of the other two.
1: Oh right home sweet home never mind uh, this is the middlest movie of the year. <laughs> no, it's definitely on top. Uh, so I think right now our lists are identical.
0: Re- reigning champion for now. Yeah. Yep.
1: I think that's everything for Underground Aces. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Whereas I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at Vintage Video Podcast.com. please consider rating us on itunes to help people find the show and if you take the time to leave us a review we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode if you're feeling especially generous you can also support the show through patreon.com slash vintage video podcast thank you so much for listening and i hope you'll join us for our next episode when we'll be discussing windwalker which imdb describes like so in 1797 utah an aged cheyenne patriarch helps his kin to fight off a raiding party of rival Crow warriors, and he tells his grandchildren the story of their family. I think it's entirely in a Native American language with subtitles. But
0: isn't Talkers Navajo?
1: Windwalkers. What? This, is, this was called Wind Walker. Wind walkers. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's like a Skywalker, but lower. We leave you now with the trailer for Windwalker.
0: Before the white man crossed the Rockies, he was already a legend. As a young warrior, he was terrifying. As a father, he was kind and loving. Then, his enemies killed his wife and kidnapped his son. His revenge was fearsome.
1: His search for his child,
0: endless. The Windwalker, now he walks the
1: winds of eternity.